In alchemical union with the four genii of creation, air, fire, water, and earth, plants turn the desert into a garden. What you're hearing is from The Secret Life of Plants, a documentary based on the 1973 book by the same name by Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. Waylon Green is the director of this film, which was released in the late 1970s. He also writes and produces for TV and movies. And you might recognize his face. Remember that off-putting scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where everyone's on that unsettling boat ride? This is kind of strange. Yes, strange, Charlie, but it's fun. (laughs) He makes a cameo as the man with a millipede crawling across his face. Okay, but back to the plants. The documentary is very pretty. There are time lapses of plants growing and beautiful shots of different nature scenes. And Stevie Wonder even does the soundtrack for the film. Now, a lot of science in the book and movie has since been debunked and labeled pseudoscience. But plant communication, that's something that scientists are researching and using right now. And they're studying this communication to better understand and adapt to one of the biggest issues facing us all climate change. Every area of the planet is now impacted by climate change. I know that a lot of young people are worried, and frankly, I'm an old person and I'm worried. My Build Back Better initiative, which was adopted by the, uh, by the G7, was that uh, everything should be focused on as we help with the infrastructure of the rest of the world, which needs it badly. Agriculture is on the front lines of the climate crisis. If we don't figure out how to understand what plants need to survive increasing droughts and severe weather events, all of our lives are at stake. There are food, our clothes, the foundation of our societies. If our plants die, we die. Our understanding of these plants is as old as society itself. But how has our attempt to communicate with plants changed over time? And how are we using today to better prepare for tomorrow? Well, come on into the lab and let's find out. Welcome back to another episode of The Lab at AZ Central. I'm your host, Alexandra Watts. This is our second episode, but it's also our first two-parter. In this and the next episode, We're going to be looking at plants, how we communicate with them, and why we communicate with them. But before we start, let's go back to the secret life of plants just for a moment. The book is a New York Times bestseller. It basically states that plants can feel emotions like humans. The book and movie tell of Cleve Baxter. Baxter, who worked for the CIA, hooked up a plant to a lie detector test. He said the plants could sense human emotions and respond to distress. But the interesting thing is that right at the split second that that imagery of fire entered my mind, the tracing reflecting the changes in the plant just went right off the top of the page. And the only thing that occurred at that time, no lighting of a match, nothing else, merely the imagery of fire. And I must say that as of 14 minutes along in that initial observation on the morning of February 2nd, 1966, my life just hasn't been the same. He previously lit plants on fire for this experiment, but also said that the idea or imagery of fire was enough to stress them out. And this was a hit. 
Baxter went on to make guest appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, among other talk shows. Audiences loved all of this. Scientists did not. According to a New York Times article, others tried to recreate Baxter's original study. And a lot of examples in the book were criticized as shoddy research, some not even using the scientific method. In an NPR interview, a plant biologist says that people tend to either underestimate or overestimate what plants can do. But the book and the movie are built around the idea that plants can communicate with the world around them. But now it's being done in a legitimate, scientific way. People are talking to plants, and we're going to meet them as soon as we get to the parking garage. I never thought I'd be starting a bioscience podcast on top of a parking garage on the University of Arizona campus in Tucson. But I guess stranger things have happened this past year. If you're wondering why we're at U of A, it's because researchers at the university received a grant from the National Science Foundation to develop technology to talk to plants. U of A got a portion of the $25 million grant, which also includes Cornell University, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and the Boyce Thompson Institute. We are trying to improve communication between plants and humans is one way to think of this grant. That's Rebecca Mosier, an associate professor at the School of Plant Sciences. She's also the lead investigator on this project. Mosier leads us past cars with various go wildcats and bear down bumper stickers and up to the top floor. And with a swipe of a key card, we enter a serene space enclosed in glass. So we're in the 6th Street Garage greenhouse complex in one of the many greenhouses up here. They all can be set individually for the environment that the plants need. So that greenhouse with corn next door is probably set at a warmer temperature than this one with brassica. Getting to work in a greenhouse is cool. Getting to work in a greenhouse on top of a parking garage is also cool. And getting to communicate with plants, well, that's pretty cool too. But Mosher says that communicating with plants is not really a new concept. For thousands of years, farmers have been closely observing the plants and seeing, oh, there's a bit of yellowing in the leaves. I think that plant needs more iron. So we already have this ability. We're just going to refine it so that we can see more and understand more about what's going on with the plants. Mosher says one of her favorite things to do is work with seeds. My laboratory does a lot with seeds with the ovaries before fertilization, and we do crosses and we look at them throughout development. She gently opens a green seed pod that reveals a small green sphere about half the size of a grain of rice. I teach this to kindergartners, actually. The seed has a baby plant, it has a coat, and it has a lunch. It's like mom sends the kid out to school with a jacket and a lunch. And so the three parts are the seed coat, the embryo, and the endosperm. And the endosperm is that lunch. It's the food for the growing embryo. But it's also, for us, the food that we eat. So when you get rice or wheat or corn, most of that is endosperm. So we're kind of stealing it from the baby plant, where the big bully is taking the lunch away and eating it. I don't know if you can see it or what kind of lens you have on there, but there's a little tiny green thing there. That's the embryo. 
We spoke with Mosier some more about the grant in her office. And still thinking of the little seed in the parking garage greenhouse, I was wondering if the life cycle of the plant would have anything to do with how they were communicated with. We haven't really thought about age. And I think, again, it depends on what the problem that we want to address is. If our issues are about germination and establishment in the field, then we would want very young plants to contain that signal. If that's something that happens during seed ripening, then we would want really old plants to communicate that signal. There are things that are still in development right now, but Mosher says they've already identified some of the crops they'd like to focus on. We're all going to be working on a variety of plants. We've identified some key species that are already important amongst the researchers involved in the project. So corn is one of those, tomato is one of those, lettuce might be one of those. But the idea is to use whatever system might be most important for that particular question. The grant is funding the Center for Research on Programmable Plant Systems. So that's C-R-O-P-P-S, also known as CROPS. One of CROPS' focuses is digital biology. Those who are part of this collaboration also have certain guiding questions to set the foundation for this research. Can we build a new genetic circuit so that the plant can tell us its needs in the field, and then a farmer can go and help meet those needs. Ultimately, we might like to also create two-way communication. So can we um, create a circuit in the plant so that we can tell it what we want it to do, so that it can both hear us and speak to us? So this means that the plant could tell us its needs and we could tell it what to do. They really are trying to talk to plants. Mosher says that in this project, the plants would use intentional communication. There would be certain signs the researchers would look for, depending on the plant. The idea is that we would have the plant produce signs that would tell us about its status. And what particular aspect of its status it's telling us about might depend on the plant. If we were interested in creating a variety that was really robust in a dry drought environment like we have here in Arizona, we might engineer circuits that the plant tells us when it's underwater stress. But if you were producing a plant in a, a different environment, you might be more interested in insects or pathogens. Farmers and researchers have been using selective breeding and genetic engineering on crops for a long time. In Arizona, cotton farmers started using a new variety called BT cotton to eradicate a pest called the pink bollworm. But in this case, researchers aren't necessarily trying to solve specific problems outright. They're trying to give the plant the ability to tell us exactly what the problem is in the first place. So the plant could say, I need this much more water to survive. So we need to have engineers who can build swimming robots working together with optical science who can make the right kind of sensors, working with plant biologists who know the way roots grow and what signals might come out of roots. And then all of those working together, maybe we can develop a way that we can see root communication. Yes, you heard that. Robots. Swimming robots that would swim through soil and between roots. And again, there are things that are still in development with this project. But there is technology that's already communicating with plants. And lucky for us, 
we don't have to go all the way to New York or Illinois to see it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, come meet the robot. Hi, my name is Melina Walling, and I'm a biosciences reporter at the Arizona Republic. You're listening to The Lab at AZ Central, where we'll take you across the state to answer bioscience questions big and small. What exactly is bioscience? Well, this season, it's robots that can talk to plants, solving crimes using pollen, and raising fish in the desert. If that sounds pretty weird, well, it is. But it's also life-changing stuff. And all of it is for people outside the lab. People like you and me. So if you're enjoying this episode so far, be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow us and our other Arizona Republic podcasts, Valley 101 and The Gaggle, on Instagram and Twitter. Now, back to the show. We're back in the lab at AZ Central. And now, it's time to meet the robot, or the robotic field scanner. A collaboration of universities, including University of Arizona, is part of a grant that looks at plant communication. And one way the plants are being communicated with, this 30-ton robotic field scanner. It looks at all the plants in this field at the USDA Arid Land Research Station in Maricopa. And this is the world's largest robotic field scanner. Okay, and just a quick side note. We're in Maricopa the city, not the county. Maricopa the city is actually in Pinal County. There actually was once a Pinal city in Pinal County, but it's abandoned now. But back to the crop robot. This green giant looks both like a vintage submarine and a futuristic contraption at the same time. Right now, it's casting a shadow on the sorghum crop. I'm Jeffrey Demiville. I'm the uh, engineer that's responsible for the Maricopa Gantry project. He's in the control room, which is a metal box looking over the field. So we're in the control room of the gantry. This is where we program all the scripts and tell it how to operate. From here, we can look at all the different cameras use remote control or automatic motion, the HMI, uh, the human-machine interface. Uh, this is the brains of the whole machine. <laughs> he has to climb a ladder to get into his office. And inside, it's a computer with hundreds of circuits and wires on the wall. But what we are trying to do is measure like properties of the plant to understand if there are certain traits or attributes about it that allow it to cope with stress better. So are there things with like, it's pigments like chlorophyll fluorescence. So how good is it turning sunlight into biomass? We have cameras on there that capture the uh, temperature. Now we're back on the ground with Duke Pauli, an assistant professor also with the School of Plant Sciences. He leads different research projects under the scanner. Maxes it out. And then what we're measuring is the camera in the center takes about 100 images in like a second. And what we're measuring is how the plant can take all that light energy and shuttle it through the electron transport chain, which is what drives photosynthesis. And so with those photos, we're basically capturing that reaction rate. They take a lot of data to turn a stressed out field of plants into a virtual lab that they can enter on the computer. We've created a virtual reality, like augmented reality field. So you can put on like 3D goggles, cruise through the field. You can select plants, pull up their data, 
it's like right out of Star Trek. It's truly mind-blowing. And we'll talk more about digital biology and this technology in part two. But before we get there, what are the plants saying? Largely, they're saying, hey, it's hot. Um, some of them are tougher than others, though. Um, and by tough, I mean some of us are just better able to cope with um, the stress that we encounter out here. Now that sounds like a very typical Arizona answer. It's hot. You might expect the crops to say it's a dry heat. But Arizona's climate plays a key role in communicating with plants. So Arizona really is at the limit of like what plants can withstand. Um, let's see, last summer in 2020, you know, we had that heat wave in Phoenix where it was 93 days of excessive heat warnings or something. Um, so yeah, it's just like super challenging environment. And that's why we like growing plants here is because we can see, you know, what are the features, traits, um, genetics that allow the plants to actually cope with the stress and to kind of get at those data, excuse me, to get at those signals. We're using the data from an instrument like this to do the listening. Um, but yeah, largely they're saying it's hot and water me. Both Pauli and Rebecca Mosier have described the state as having the climate of tomorrow today. And that's because it's so hot. As the temperatures change, plants are affected. But if a plant can grow in the heat of Arizona, scientists hope that maybe it can grow anywhere. On the next episode of The Lab, we look at how talking plants fit into the bigger picture of technology, climate change, and of course, Arizona. If you have questions about science, you can submit them at the lab at azcentral.com. And if you like what you heard today and want to know more, support us by subscribing at azcentral.com. Thanks for tuning into The Lab at AZ Central, a podcast from the Arizona Republic at azcentral.com. Melina Walling contributed to the reporting in this episode. Josh Susong is our editor. Support for our independent coverage of bioscience at AZ Central comes from a grant from the Flynn Foundation. If you like politics, make sure to check out one of our other podcasts, The Gaggle. Also, be sure to check out Valley 101, a podcast that answers all of your questions about the Valley, where you ask the questions and we find the answers. For the Lab at AZ Central, I'm Alexandra Watts.